Dear Sugar is supported by The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed. I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Oh, dear son, won't you please share some little sweet days with me? Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the female power episode. I'm yeah. so excited about this. Yeah, 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 absolutely. As somebody who's married to a powerful female and was raised by one, yes. Here we are. And the letters we're going to consider today, on one hand, they express a sort of reality that you know I'm not in either of the situations that we're going to discuss today. Mm. And yet the issues around them are things that have come up over and over in my life as a girl in this culture that is really uncomfortable with ambitious girls, and as a woman in this culture that's really ambivalent about successful and strong women. Mm -hmm. And never has this come up, I guess, more acutely than over these last few years since Wilde, you know, did go and become a bestseller. So many times I've been asked, and my husband Brian has been asked, how are you guys handling this as a couple? And what they mean by that, what they'll say is, how is Brian doing? Poor Brian, who had the great misfortune to be married to me over these years of my success. And it's really a two-pronged question. And the letters we're going to answer today address both of these prongs. Mm -hmm. One is, is he jealous? Is he threatened? Yeah. And does this cause stress in our relationship? And the other is the financial aspect. With success has come some financial security Longtime listeners on the show will know that we didn't always have that. In fact, we never did until Mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. And, oh, is he emasculated by the fact that you are making money? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go into that now because, drum roll, our guest is going to be my husband, Brian. Cheryl, how is he doing? (laughs) And so we're going to talk to him later today and maybe unpack some of the stuff that's going on in our relationship and also... uh, I think it's happening in a lot of people's relationships oh, yeah. these days. Yeah, I mean, you have to step back and take in the wider cultural landscape. And increasingly, female ambition and success professionally and economically is colliding with the old paradigm. What happens when the woman is a breadwinner or the primary breadwinner, you know, enjoying professional success, creative success that doesn't eclipse her husband's, but that certainly is, you know, larger by many measures. You know, people talk a good game about feminism and the advances we've made. And then I look around the American landscape at how powerful, ambitious women are perceived and their husbands, and you realize the patriarchy dies hard, man. It's inside of us. Indeed. So let me read this first letter. Yep. Dear Sugar, my husband has a life that many people who are rule followers, such as myself, would envy. When I first met him, it was undeniably a passionate love affair. I'd never dated anyone or known anyone like him before. He successfully took risks, lived all over the world, has many passions, and is a loyal friend. 
He's seven years older than me, and we met at work, where his power and seniority at the office was insanely attractive to me. The year we got married, he wanted to take a risk and go back to graduate school to find his dream job. I trusted his judgment, and between his savings, my new job, and some sacrifices, we comfortably lived while he underwent two years of graduate school. My husband now has his dream job. I'm proud of everything he's accomplished and what we were able to do together to make it happen. Over the past four years, my career has skyrocketed in ways I never could have dreamed of. I've broken through the hypothetical glass ceilings in a male-dominated industry. I'm a huge believer in women in the workplace and always will be. If they become the breadwinner in a marriage, more power to them. Now herein lies my problem. I became the breadwinner in an extreme way. I committed to supporting us for two years, but we're going on four now, and it will likely be five. Our income divide is so extreme that I pay for 90% of our living expenses. What I've found is I can't live this girl power lifestyle that I believe in. I'm very close to a breaking point, and I never stop thinking about leaving my husband. And no matter what other reasons I come up with, it always leads back to money, power, and sexual attraction. I hate myself for it. I hate my sexist, wealthy, materialistic father who likely instilled these ideals in me. I hate my mother-in-law who thinks women shouldn't have to work. I hate that I want a more traditional lifestyle with a husband that can provide for me. I hate that I'm not confident enough in myself to have children because I don't think I can be the financial provider and a mother. And I hate that I would never look at my husband the same way if he was a stay-at-home dad. What I hate most of all is that this is not what my husband wants either. He never imagined that he would spend all of his savings to follow his dreams to come out on the other end making a quarter of his prior salary. When I ask myself if I would have ever married an older man that I would financially support the first five years of marriage and possibly forever, the answer is a hard no. And most days, I feel like I can't do this one second longer. He's doing everything in his power to make more of a financial contribution, but his fruitless attempts haven't pulled me out of this rut. It's embarrassing enough to him that I could never tell my friends or family the extent of our income divide, and I can't tell him exactly how I feel either. Maybe this was a risk he shouldn't have taken. I want to be taken care of. I want to pull back at work in order to have a family. And I'm so ashamed of my feelings. Sugars, please help me live what I believe in. With love, breadwinner. Mm. My reaction to this, it just at a very basic level, is an incredibly gutsy letter to write. Because, you know, in an odd way, she's really writing against feminism. You know, she's saying, I yearn for this traditional setup. I would think less of a man who didn't work outside the home, and not only that, but who had some economic power in the world. And she's anguished about it, but the most striking moments in this letter, I never stop thinking about leaving him. I think about it every second. It's reached a crisis point. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very glad that she's writing to us because that's no kind of way to live where in every moment of the day you're thinking, I want to abandon this person. I don't have respect for him, and I don't have respect for the part of myself that doesn't have respect for him. Indeed. I think it's it's a fascinating letter because she is talking about essentially having a dual reality. Like she thinks she has these values, and then she actually has these other values, right? I mean, she's 
clearly an ambitious, successful woman. I mean, somebody's career doesn't skyrocket by accident, right? Yeah. You know, she's clearly a, a smart, ambitious person who's done her time and she's seen the financial fruits of her labor. Yep. And she believes in women in the workplace, as she says. And yet, the great collision is these bizarre, old-fashioned, traditional ideas right. that she's angry she has, and yet she has them. Yeah. She says, you know, she got them from her wealthy, powerful father. Well, that's no surprise, right? Mm-mm. I mean, I think that sentence is a big, unpacked box. <laughs> the patriarchy dies hard, and so does the patriarchy. And so does the dad, the rich, powerful dad. Right. You know, and this mother-in-law who believes that women shouldn't work, you know, I'm fascinated that that mother-in-law who thinks women shouldn't work really has any psychological bearing on her whatsoever. I mean, that's like a fly on your screen that you can shoo away, really. Well, I guess, except that remember that, you know, this is the mom who raised her husband. Right. Yeah. But so what she's saying, too, what she wants, she's saying, I hate these things. I don't want these things. I want to reject these things. And then in the next paragraph, she's saying, I want these things. I mean, I think that you, breadwinner, you either need to end your marriage and go find a powerful, rich guy to be your partner next, or you dismantle this value system that's causing you so much angst and anxiety and sorrow. Yeah. You know, she says, please help me live what I believe. And my question, I'm sure yours as well, Cheryl, is what do you believe? Yeah. And it's true that ambitions can collide. And in fact, part of the great anxiety of feminine power, professional power, power outside the domestic, is the collision of these two ambitions. I lived it inside my house. My mom was, you know, Yale Medical School, powerful, top of the class, and started her career and also had three kids during her residency. And I saw firsthand and continue to see, frankly, the anguish that those colliding ambitions create. And you come to this honestly, breadwinner, even though your case is a little more extreme in terms of financials, you know, and the values you hold and how hard they're coming against one another. That's an honest collision of ambitions. What I think is a little bit less honest is that you're going to have to resolve them and come clean with your husband about that internal struggle. The heart and soul get trampled when money is the God. And what's so heartbreaking in reading this letter in some ways is this guy has his dream job. Isn't that the thing that you're supposed to want for your partner? And hey, what a happy circumstance that you make a lot of money because you are super good at, you know, a profession that is rewarded, you know, financially. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is she doesn't say that we don't have enough and we're struggling. Right. And we're uncomfortable because of our income. And she doesn't say, my husband is lazy and refuses to get a job, and he sits at home all day playing video games in the basement. Okay, Mm-mm. Those are two you know, really concrete, legitimate complaints that you would have about your partner. Right. You're like, I'm alone in this, and I'm paying all the bills. I think the deeper question is, how is your husband's wealth connected to your sense of his masculinity and your sexual desire for him. Because that, to me, that is the most troubling aspect of this letter. Really, it sounds to me that like you fell in love with your husband. Some of that passion you felt for him early on was really driven by his wealth and his power. (laughs) Let me quote you, insanely attractive. Right. And so what that comes down to is not asking him to change, but it's about you Really, I use that word unpacking before, but really taking a close look at what's contributing to your sense of 
essentially, it sounds to me like you've fallen out of love with your husband. And maybe the reveal is you never were in love with him. You were in love with His the power. position he occupied, the things he reminded you of in the culture and maybe in your own family system. And then what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that this is really important that you look at that now. You know, you say things like, oh, you know, I can't have a baby. I can't start a family and be a provider. Well, that's not the case. I work my hiney off night and day, and I have two kids, and I'm absolutely their mom, and I'm absolutely a present mother. Right. You know, my husband isn't what you call a stay-at-home dad. He also has a career, right. and we both make it work. We'll talk about that more in a minute when Brian comes on the show. Yeah. But, I, you know, these side issues like, well, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I feel this way. Breadwinner, I think it's really about you taking a close look at how those values and beliefs about money are influencing your ability to make a decision about whether you want to stay in this marriage or not. Yeah. And that's really a tough thing. In a sense, it's easier to fill the letter with figures about money and he makes this much and we had a plan and so forth than to say, geez, maybe I've fallen out of love with this person because the basis of that love was a kind of false God that he had power and he had money. And and I've been indoctrinated, enculturated into a family where even though I don't like it, I inculcated these values that what is attractive and what makes a man manly and sexy is that he has economic and professional power. It's really easy to say to somebody like this, you must step out from under the shadow of money. And it's really much more difficult to say, okay, those values are inside of you, but are there other things other than money that matter to you? And what are those things? And she's telling us, well, you know, I want to have children. I want to have the experience of being a mother. And I want to be able to do that at the same time, I, I think anyway, implied here is that she also wants to be able to work. You know, you're trying to do two things that are extraordinarily difficult at the same time, but it is possible. And if that's your ambition, you have to try to make those compatible. And you have to make sure that you love and have the support of your husband. And I don't mean his financial support. I mean his support emotionally and psychologically, as well as maybe financially, to do those two difficult things simultaneously. So, you know, as tough as it is to do, I think the thing to consider is how strong is the marriage and how trusting am I to share some of these feelings that I have? Not the, I want to leave this marriage every second of the day version of that discussion, but the, I have these feelings about how much money matters and how much I associate worth and attractiveness with money and power, and I need to confess those things to you. Mm -hmm. Well, and she says she wants to feel taken care of. And we all know having enough money is one way of feeling taken care of, being provided for in that way. But there are other things that are far more significant. You know, I think that having that conversation is going to be really hard. You know, I think that her husband probably cares about money an awful lot, too. Right. And that he probably senses her disappointment. And for a lot (laughs) of men, I mean, the reason that Brian gets that question and I get that question about Brian is that, you know, men in our culture— You know, one of the numbers that patriarchy has done on men is their sense of pride and worth is about how much they earn, that it's in some ways embarrassing or shameful if your female partner is earning more. And I just want to say to Breadwinner, you're ashamed that you feel this way, that you want to live in a more traditional way financially with your husband. He's probably ashamed that he's not provided that for you. Mm -hmm. So maybe think about approaching this in this way where you both just say, listen, we're going to both try to speak to each other without judgment or condemnation, to speak honestly and openly about what our values are about money, about traditional gender roles, 
what your beliefs are versus the way you actually want to live. And, you know, part of maybe uh, meeting in the middle breadwinner with your husband is, like I said earlier, rethinking. You know, I'm not trying to talk you out of these values you hold, but sometimes we do need to rethink them in order to make our life work. Yeah. So breadwinner, I hope that you can get what you want. But I also hope that you'll listen to the conversation we're about to have with my husband, Brian. The reason, Brian, we invited you on, you know, as I said at the top of this episode, this is this, you know, question we've been getting a lot. You know, we went from having all this financial stress to not having financial stress, but it happened on this really public stage. You know, I think other people kind of secretly, you know, they inherit some money from a parent or a grandparent or somebody. We have right. so many friends where it turns out that they're so much like richer than you ever thought because they come to their money in these really private ways, even a promotion at a job. Yeah, people But have... when you have a best-selling book, everyone's like, you're rich, you're rich. And it's this very public sort of thing. And so it encourages people to sort of ask us. Mm-hmm. And they really do say, how is Brian handling this thing that you have been the breadwinner? Now, I want to say Brian's very successful in his career. He's a documentary filmmaker. And one thing that documentary filmmakers generally have in common with writers is about 0.001% of them. (laughs) Right. They're doing their job right. They're not making money. money. And so, again, I've said this many times in my life and on the show, you know, in the arts, fame and, and money are not the measuring stick by which you can gauge success. And so the way I always answer that question is he's doing more than fine. Because mm-hmm. guess what? This success I had that was really us having it right. together right. is that we got the ticket that we were hoping to get all of our artistic lives. And that was the ticket that would enable us both to do our creative work. Right. What do you say to that, Brian, when you're asked? Well, let's do it. I, I think what Brian, people how are... how you doing? <laughs> how you doing, Brian? I'm hanging It must there. be hard that you can now go to the grocery store and buy dinner without having to go to Powell's and sell a bunch of used books first. <laughs> remember those days of our marriage? I remember them vividly. I remember uh, selling books at Powell's. I remember not having enough money to buy Carver a bicycle. Yeah. You know, I remember all these things. And, uh, you know, I never want to forget those things because I think they're, you know, important touchstones. But, I man, I think in a nutshell, what you and I have always been after and this might sound grandiose, I don't mean it to be, but is is meaning, mm, you know? Yeah. And uh, the first time you ever read your story, The House with the Horse and the Blue Canoe, to me, it oh. was, you know, transformative. I was like, wow, you know, she has a voice and she is really in this for all the right reasons and for the long haul. And I don't want to speak for you, but I think you felt the same way about me in film. I and did. we just kind of mm. pursued this and we you know, went to Syracuse when you got your MFA and we went to, uh, you know, Great Barrington when I worked on that uh, documentary series. And it was never like a hard discussion about, well, okay, now you're the breadwinner and I'm going to work on this. Or, you know, it seemed just kind of a fluid thing where we were both really pursuing our dreams and, you know, just trying to avoid (laughs) financial calamity. And, this incredible thing happened and there there are some people who come up to me and I can tell that they're thinking that somehow what's happened to you takes something away from me. Yeah. And I, I just don't understand that line of questioning. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's insulting to both of us. I remember one of our friends, you know, he's been so happy for my success, but he said to me, make sure you give Brian lots of blowjobs. Wow. And that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> And and I laughed, but I also knew what he meant. 
I knew exactly what he meant. And that was make sure that you make Brian feel like the man. Right. And I really feel that over and over again, that that's come up over and over again. So it's insulting to me and it's insulting to Brian. It implies something about gender that we've both rejected. And one thing when Brian was talking, I would say when it comes to money, that's been really helpful to us and breadwinner. I don't know if this might be helpful for you when you think about trying to really come together with your husband instead of feel like you're on opposing sides is that it was always our problem. So when we were broke, we were in a pickle together. Right. We didn't fight about money. I remember uh, yeah. just right in the the heat of the whole you know financial turmoil. I don't think we had enough money to pay our health insurance that month, and it was just like something's got to give. And I would wait until Cheryl would go to bed, and I would go on Craigslist and look for uh, jobs Other women. in no. <laughs> jobs in That's uh, another episode film and video, and uh, I was offered one. And it was an advertising job, and it you know had a meaningful salary. I think it paid like fifty thousand dollars a year. I think it was seventy thousand with benefits. Which and at was that like time, way more. It was way just like more. yeah. And I'll never forget because I was made. thinking like, oh my god, I have to take this. Yeah. And Cheryl just didn't even hesitate. She said, "You are not going to take that job. If you take it, I won't talk to you. You're going to be miserable, and that's not what you're meant to do." Right. And I just remember thinking, I just felt so lucky because how many people in that situation could count on their partner, like, looking at the bigger picture. Right. I think that Brian just used a phrase, breadwinner, that will be useful, and that is the big picture. And that marriage is long. You're five years in. You did one flip. You know, you went from marrying the the powerful, wealthy husband who then, you know, decided to go to graduate school and follow his dream job. He's making less. But, you know, I this could flip again and maybe back again. And I, I can certainly say that that's been true in my marriage, you know, for most of our marriage, Brian did make more money than me. We've gone back and forth. You know, sometimes he's done more of the domestic work or looking after the children. Sometimes I've done more. Sometimes he's brought more money in. Sometimes I have. You know, who knows in 10 years what will be happening, right? That we are constantly flipping those roles and, and maybe not so much flipping them as sharing them. Maybe, Breadwinner, you know, you say how much you treasure those gender roles, even though they piss you off. Maybe actually they're not so treasured. I mean, maybe they're they're thwarting you from having the kind of whole, healthy life and relationship that you want. Yeah. I also, like, I'd be very curious if this couple can um, kind of write it out and she becomes a mother, if she won't look at her husband in a whole new way. Because I think the fact that he is kind of pursuing his dream is going to have a certain kind of energy that I think she's going to really want for her child or her children to mm. see. And right now she's not seeing that. Mm. He, you know, what Brian's getting at is what is fulfilling, like in a spiritual level, an emotional, psychological level? There's such emptiness if it's just money and stuff. What's actually fulfilling to this woman? And, and I think the thing I keep gravitating towards is, she, you know, that she feels strongly that she wants to have the experience of being a mother. And it so happens that this woman is really good at making money. What's interesting is that it's not something she ever dreamed of. And so maybe the truth is that a part of her is bucking against that because, you know, there's this other dream underneath that that involves being a mother. The good news is that she is starting to ask those questions. What do you believe and what do you find fulfilling and what does your husband find fulfilling? Yeah.
The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. So we're going to move along to the next letter. This one's from a man. Yes. And it's about his relationship with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Here goes. Dear Sugars, over time, I've come to define myself by what I do, as I think many of us do. A few years ago, I decided to go to graduate school, and just a couple of months in, I met my girlfriend in the same program. Because we're always together, it's added interesting turns to our relationship. And while it can be difficult, I feel it's given us an incredible bond and understanding of one another. Since meeting, we've both enjoyed a good amount of success in our field, some of which has been together and some as individuals. She's much more carefree, social, and outgoing, whereas I'm much more of a high-strung introvert in regards to new situations and people. In most cases, this works out fine for us, and she's been a positive force to counter my fairly cynical outlook on life. Oftentimes, I get myself so stressed and down about my work that I find it hard to continue, and she's always there to talk me back down and give me the motivation I need. Lately, though, my insecurities are causing me to have so much inner turmoil that I don't feel I can express to my partner. She's just been given an incredible opportunity for her work, one that was on both of our career goals lists. She is entirely deserving of this recognition. She works hard, Sugar's really hard, and I'm very proud of her for earning the opportunity. But I'm also so incredibly jealous. I'm more jealous than I am happy for her. I feel like I have a raging, jealous bitch monster inside me that I can't get to shut up. I don't want to feel this way. I even know that if I had attempted to get the same opportunity she did, which I didn't, I'm not ready for it anyway. So it's not that she got what I think I should have gotten. It's that I can't help but think of all the other great things that will come to her following this. And then conversely, I wonder what it will be like if my own practice never takes off while hers flourishes. I don't want to bring up my jealousy with her and have my usual negativity rain on her parade. I don't want her to think of me as a burden as she is preparing, or worse, feel afraid to keep me in the loop about any part of this opportunity for fear of hurting my feelings, though I fear this has already happened. After she received her news, I only found out because a professor was discussing it with her while I was in the room. Sugars, how do I combat the jealousy of her success? Do I let her know how I feel? I don't want to damage my relationship because I love her. And really, I want her to be by my side. Sincerely, Envy. Hmm. It's a hard one. But I, I think that, you know, first of all, Envy, I want to say to you, it's okay that you have this feeling. We've seen this subject come up over and over in all sorts of situations, right? 
romantic jealousy, professional jealousy, jealous of friends, of siblings, on and on and on. Yeah. And so it's a very natural emotion. And the question is always, how much power do you give it? Because this is your problem, Envy. And and what I love about this letter is you know it is. You, you say, right. she deserved this recognition. I didn't. I haven't done that particular work. She did. And you're happy for her. You're sincerely happy for her. And so you're owning these feelings. But I think it's really important that she hears that loud and clear because I think that her first instinct is going to feel blamed or condemned or like she needs to be apologetic about this achievement. And she doesn't. And you know that. And so I think really thinking deeply about the nature of jealousy, and that's about your relationship to your work, your relationship to yourself, and your relationship to the feeling you have when you see other people getting what you someday hope to get. And so, you know, really owning that first and doing some internal work to resolve some of those feelings will be one of the things that's important before you bring it to your girlfriend. Well, the one thing I would say that is clear to me about this situation and, and all situations that are like this is, look, shame is the feeling not that I did bad things, but that I am bad. It is the moment where you go from, I know she had the success and I know she deserved it and I wasn't ready for it yet to th- what he then leaps to. And I will never achieve. Mm-hmm. I am not good in the way that she is. I will never have a practice that flourishes. That's the shame feeling that I am, not that I did something bad, but that I am something bad. And I think the idea is when we feel, you know, shameful feelings, and this was true, of course, as breadwinner as well, our first instinct is to hide them. You know, shame feasts on silence. It gets larger and it expands. Yeah. And I think that she already knows envy about this feeling you have because clearly she didn't share with you. And it was because she didn't want to hurt your feelings and upset you. And so I think Steve is right about sharing, but let's talk more deeply about that and more specifically about that, because I do think when it comes to jealousy, you need to be really careful about how you share those feelings. And one of the pieces of advice that I gave to Breadwinner in our previous discussion was this idea of shifting your feeling. Like right now, you're on one side, the person who didn't get the thing, and your girlfriend's on the other side. And instead, shifting it to say, we're in this together and you got something that we both want, and here's how I feel about it. I wonder if you even remember this, Brian. I forgot about it until Steve was reading Envy's letter. Mm -hmm. Brian and I, when we first were living together, it was before we were married, we decided we wanted to apply to this artist residency in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. There's this residency in this little town, and we put in our applications, and we had to apply separately, but we also made it clear in our applications that we were partners. And Brian was saying, you know, I'm going to work on this film. And I was saying, I'm going to work on this book. And Brian was given a residency and I was not. Mm. Do you remember this, Brian? I do. How did that feel to you? Uh, it felt awful. Yeah. And what was awful? What were the feelings that, that oh, went it was into complex. Awful? It was like, because, I, you know, my letter was just addressed to me. And so I read it. I'm like. Wow, I got in. And And my letter was also addressed to me, (laughs) and I didn't get in. Right. I think we had a bit of a fight about it. You know, we didn't have a fight, but I was jealous. I was stung. I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is, you know, Envy at least can say, you know, well, I didn't even go up for this award. So it wasn't a competition, and she was chosen. But in my case, it was honestly that, like, Brian was accepted and I wasn't. Right. And so they said to Brian, we value your work more 
you know, at this moment. We're assessing that you're more worthy of our support. Right. And it stung. And, and But yet we really, as a couple, I had to say to him, I'm jealous and my feelings are hurt. But also what we decided to do, what, you know, we, we remember we talked like, well, certainly this doesn't mean that Brian should decline the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to give in to this idea like, oh, Cheryl's jealous. And so Brian can't do this. Right. We together, and this is what I'm saying, Envy, is, you know, enlist each other, like enlist your partner in unpacking these emotions. Because I'm going to guess that she relates to your emotion. Like the reason she didn't want to tell you that she got this opportunity is because she does feel kind of like, oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Right. So she's already on your side. Right. So allow her to be by letting her in. I think it might be helpful for me, if not for the listeners and the letter writer, is to distinguish between envy and jealousy. I feel like we're using them interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at film school at Columbia, you could get free counseling if you were experiencing some kind of psychological block that was tied to your work. And I was needing to write and direct uh, my thesis film, and I was at a complete you know, like standstill. Just couldn't work on it, couldn't do anything. And so I got to um, avail myself to a learned psychiatrist, Dr. Anderson, and he, he was so helpful. And uh, he gave me a very pithy distinction between jealousy and envy, which I don't remember. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I think, because I've thought about this for a few thousand years, um, jealousy is the desire to hold on to what you have and the fear of losing that, and envy involves wanting what somebody else has. Perfect. Yes. It helped, uh, for some reason, crystallize in my mind the fact that um, you know I put myself through college and graduate school, and I never had asked my parents, which in my case is my mom, you know, for any help in, in any way. And I just came to this kind of dead end where I, I just like needed some time to work on the film. And so I asked my mom for, you know, a, a small amount of money. And she said, of course. Um, but anyway, there was something about the jealousy envy thing that helped me realize that, that I was worth asking that, you know, and I just wonder if if in envy's thing, there's some kind of self-worth thing going on where like maybe he truly isn't ready for that, uh, position oh, he applied for, but yeah. I wonder what else is going on that he's kind of not holding himself back. Yeah, that he's not realizing his mm-hmm. own full strength and voice, mm-hmm. you know, and he's resenting her for doing it. He wants to some extent to feel that he's as accomplished and good in this particular field as his girlfriend, that he'll do as well as she will do. But underneath that, I think, you know, he wants to feel that he's as secure in himself as his girlfriend is because the you know sort of the basis of being able to do good work and be ambitious is a kind of self-belief and a valuing of the self it's going to be impossible to value her gifts and not resent them until you start valuing who you are and what you're capable of yeah i think it's important also to just address um you know more specifically that again in ways that we're not always conscious of there is this expectation within the individual and that's sort of really in certain ways fostered, you know, amongst the rest of us that the man's job is to achieve Mm -hmm. and be the one who's dominant, whether it's financially, overtly financially, or in this case, simply through career advancement. Many of our listeners, men and women, know a situation where men are not good with feeling shown up or interpreting the success of a woman close to them as somehow making, as Brian said, making them less. Mm -hmm. To me... The true badass moment 
of like meeting Brian encountering him was when you came out as sugar and somebody asked maybe even me was like well how do you feel you know because I was so admiring of the kind of deep audience and the deep emotional connection and the literary achievement of the sugar columns and I was like I knew that Brian was an artist and I did ask my own version of that sex is fucked up how are you with that and Brian without hesitating as if not it was as if it was a stupid question but as if it was kind of an irrelevant question said well Cheryl is a truth machine and I just know that and that's what she does and my job is to kind of bear witness to that Mm -hmm. and I thought that is a badass human well that's right that's what's the funny thing really truly these weird ideas of masculinity being sort of uh, right. built on and like I was a party female weakness. Yeah. That's false manliness. I mean, really, the strongest man right. is somebody who is absolutely not threatened by the strongest woman. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. It is possible, you know, yeah. f- to be in a relationship with an ambitious woman and, you know, embrace it and, you know, to not even think of it as I'm in a relationship with an ambitious woman. I'm right. in a relationship with a woman who's on my team. And that goes to all the men out there who mm-hmm. have successful, vibrant, happening women in mm-hmm. their lives. So thank you, Brian, for being my partner. Thank you, Steve, for being another kind of partner. Mm-hmm. And it was so lovely to have you on the show, sweetie, Brian Lindstrom. Yeah. Thank you for being my partner. Aww. <laughs> and Steve, thank you for being my partner's partner. My Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's like our like the third, you know. I'm non- like your you're like you're like grown up son who's like still living at home. I'm gonna have to tell you all. He's our very platonic third member of our household. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying of our partnership. that. And I'm sure a lot of people were worried about it. Dare Sugar Radio is produced by WBUR. The show is produced and edited by Lisa Tobin, who has excellent handwriting. Yes! Recording at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon, in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Our engineer is Josh Millman. Listen and subscribe on iTunes. Send your letters to Radio at gmail.com. <laughs>